podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show presented by Paddy Power Fantasy. Good to have you with us this Friday pre the Pro Bowl. And let's be honest, gang, the Friday pre Super Bowl week. And speaking of which, delighted to announce that we are going to be out in Miami all week long. And we've got a lot of good stuff coming your way. We'll drop a pod on Tuesday morning off the back of opening night. We'll be covering that. And we have live shows Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You can get them at midday UK time through the ESPN UK social media channels, uh, YouTube, uh, check out Twitter, links to that live at midday. And then we'll be dropping those shows as podcasts later on that day. Jay Bell's going to be in the house. We'll chat to ESPN's Dan Olofsky as well. Can't wait to talk to him. One of the hottest analysts in the business. Iron Mike as well out, hopefully wearing his Miami, uh, his Hawaiian shirt on Friday in Miami. So some brilliant guests lined up all week long Super Bowl content coming your way as we build up to the big game between the 49ers and the Chiefs. Great episode for you today. We're chatting to Scottish Hammer, Jamie Gillum, no less. He's in town. What a season he's had for the Cleveland Browns representing the UK and doing us proud. So we'll hear from Jamie in just a little bit, but leading us off, catching up on all the big stories from around the NFL. Delighted to welcome the all pro Greg Brady. Greg Brady, a weird day, isn't it? The Friday before the start of Super Bowl week. Well, that Sunday morning is a sad day. Now it's the first, it's just it's the first Sunday with no football since what are we talking? Early September. So uh, how life uh, how life moves in mysterious ways. Yeah, I, you know there have been some of those years you and me were a fair amount younger where mm-hmm. you would get that you'd get that non bye week. Like they the NFL yeah. seemed to rotate that kind of consistently. Um, back and forth between two weeks off, one week off, and uh, but I don't mind it. it it's uh, I, I know you're headed to Miami. It gets you some travel time, lets you build up for that, and uh, and it, it lets us. You know, by the time we get, we're about the Thursday before the game. I've seen it. Uh, you've seen it. We're all a little tired of previewing it. We just want that game to get going. Well, get, so, exactly. No, but not the worst thing in the world. And I think you get slightly healthier teams who 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 played two weeks in a row. In this case, that is true because neither of these teams played Wild Card Weekend. So, look, all we've heard all week is what a great game it's going to be, and uh, and I don't doubt it. I, I think this is the most – this is one of the hardest Super Bowls to predict. I think mm. last year most people had the Patriots. I think the year before when they lost to the Eagles, most people had the Patriots. Um, but this is I, – I, this feels like way more of a coin flip game than the last couple. Spot on on a number of points, Greg. And it, it does seem to be getting bigger and bigger and bigger every year. And I do wonder sometimes, particularly when we're in the thick of it and in the eye of the storm, whether there is going to be a tipping point at some point, you look at even opening night, which we're going to be at, and we're dropping a pod next Tuesday morning, uh, UK time, which will be us at opening night. And you look at how that has evolved from, you know, opening day to opening night to the pomp and ceremony. And it's great fun and it's brilliant to be in the thick of, but everything is getting bigger and bigger and faster and more and more. And I wonder whether that, as I say, there is a moment where that, <laughs> that bubble bursts through excess. Well, and my first media day was in uh, 2006, and I will. It's a very strange time in my life because the Super. I was working in Detroit doing mornings, doing breakfast, and and it was in uh, the Super Bowl was at Ford Field. It was the Steelers and the Seahawks, the Matt Hasselbeck Seahawks, not the Russell right. Wilson Seahawks. So this is ages ago, and uh, and but if you told me someday, Nat, not only would they move it to evening, 
but they would charge tickets for fans to attend. <laughs> right. I didn't see that coming. That's I, I saw a lot of innovation. I think that's uh, that's that's come. And the globalization, I, I got to get it on the ground floor from, from all the UK involvement I've had and seeing it work at Wembley and, and seeing, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the, the panacea of, uh, uh, you know, of, of NFL Europe being located really in, in London. But I didn't see, yeah, I did not see them moving to the evening, charging tickets. It's on TV nonstop. It's, uh, it's an event within an event. And uh, there's not too many. Let's face it. I, I don't think the World Cup of Soccer has anything quite like it. I don't yeah. think the Olympics uh, outside of the flags and the opening ceremonies have anything quite like it. Champions League certainly doesn't have that kind of access. So it's all rather remarkable. Yeah. Uh, incidentally, a final thing on this, and we'll move on to some of the key news. The Did you see the, the story surrounding the information, I should say, surrounding the, the 2020 draft, which is going to be in Las Vegas? And uh, speaking of excess, <laughs> how they're planning to do that, that looks incredible, doesn't it? Well, are you, I, my thought is, are you taking it, it, does a player who suffer from seasickness, does do, do teams pass on him a few picks because they're <laughs> they're worried like they're not worried about an injury. They're not worried about his character. They're, they're just worried he's going to uh, toss his cookies once he gets onto the boat. I, I'm a go. little yeah, I'm, I'm a little concerned that that's going to take uh, th- this reminds me of some of the, the wrestling matches when we were really young kids yeah. and, and they brought they brought wrestlers out on carts the andre the giant hulk hogan famous match at pontiac <laughs> yeah, silverdome yeah. was like that and you're like wouldn't the wrestlers rather get out there a little faster but like i, I just remember bobby heenan getting pelted with garbage on the way out to the silverdome <laughs> ring but uh i don't think that's the fear in vegas but it's boy have they have they ever found a way to make the casual fan period and, and even the non-nfl fan check the video footage of some of the first several picks out more than the yeah. last couple of years uh it's it, it it could flop, but it's a really innovative yeah. idea, and some things are worth trying. And the NFL obviously thinks so. You're looking looking forward to that. We better make sure Ollie, the producer, is on it now. Already talking to ESPN bigwigs to make sure we're out in Vegas for that one, and uh, we'll uh, definitely be trying to arrange you to be part of that crew, Greg Brady. I know you wouldn't want to miss I'm that. Ve- I'm Vegas bound. That is, uh, <laughs> and I, I know the hot spots and the cold spots. Believe me, <laughs> I bet you do. I'm more interested <laughs> in that than the Super Bowl. Actually, no, I'm not really right. Um, some news. We'll talk Eli Manning in a moment, but. Uh, Breaking news in the last uh, 24 hours uh, surrounding Antonio Brown and another uh, sad chapter to a career that is uh, arguably done, uh, a life that seems to be spiraling completely out of uh, control. Antonio Brown turning himself in uh, to police to face assault charges. So uh, the story goes that Brown uh, and his trainer have been involved in uh, a physical altercation. Uh, He spent the night in jail. His lawyers, unsurprisingly, downplaying it um, and saying it's uh, all these charges we expect them to be dropped. Uh, and if they are, sure, okay, that's uh, that's something. But it's another uh, another negative story surrounding him. Drew Rosenhau, his agent, of course, last week said he's not going to work with Brown anymore until Brown seeks professional help. I mean, that seems to be what is going on here. What was started at the start of this season, even preseason. Greg to be a quite a quirky narrative in the build up to, to this year, the hot air balloons on hard knocks and the cryogenic yeah. mistake, which we were kind of slightly sniggering at. And he's a kooky left field wide receiver. It's taken a much more somber tone, of course, hasn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. You, you put it brilliantly and, and it's taken a darker turn too. And I, I don't, you know, it, it, we don't even know if this is rock bottom. This is a problem. The accusations in this case with the uh, delivery truck driver uh, who, who said he was assaulted. He, first of all, Antonio Brown threw a rock at his truck and made a dent and then tried to pull him out of the, the driver's seat. 
Brown had friends there, so I don't doubt it was intimidating. If all these uh, accusations, uh, alleged accusations, are accurate, um, it's it's a huge legal problem. But yeah, to go back to where we were and where we've been, even just working out for the New Orleans Saints, Nat, three or four weeks ago, right. that was the, that was sort of an under the radar story. He came, he went. We're like that 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 doesn't feel like a move. Uh, Drew Brees advocates, Sean Payton advocates. But you're right. You go all the way back to September, and none of this was about. Well, you know, is Antonio Brown, you know, is he suffering from uh, emotional problems, mental problems? Yeah. Is he just uh, is he just a little quirky? Is he just a little eccentric? Um, but the accusations of, of a lot more started to come out in September uh, about sexual assaults, about lots of problems within, uh, you know, the domestic life of Antonio Brown. And you started to realize and he has to be. Look, I'm not when I bring up, you know, mental and emotional problems, I do not say, well, that that means I have I have empathy for the actions. I don't. I, you have to be accountable for your actions at all times. But it's fairly obvious at this point that uh, that we, we just didn't see enough there with the surface. He's, he's, you know, getting he's meeting Derek Carr and he's warming up with the Raiders. And we're like, how's this going to go? Is he going to get along with John Gruden? Mm-hmm. And then just the strange uh, edited videos. And the other chapter, Nat, is. Just even, just even playing for the New England Patriots. It's yeah. almost like that never happened. He caught yeah. a touchdown pass from <laughs> Tom Brady. He's lined up on the other side of Josh Gordon. So it's a, I don't know. And, and, and if, uh, if someone has an idea, I'm all ears, but I don't know when the last time an NFL season had so many personal twists and turns. I know mm-hmm. we're going to talk about the Aaron Hernandez documentary, but remember Aaron Hernandez as a player. We didn't have any suspicion. There were no clouds of mm. uh, of danger or darkness around, and this all happened leading into another season. And whatever the Patriots knew, the rest of us didn't know it. So um, I think we've talked about it before. I don't think he ever plays in the NFL again. Um, but this this is a massive problem. I don't feel a lot of empathy for him because I think he hasn't. He's gone past the point where he should have realized ages ago uh, that he needed to uh, to get some help for himself, and that's where we're at. It does shine the spotlight as well on the entourage and the people around you. Obviously, how important that is when you're in the glare of the spotlight uh, that inevitably you are when you're an elite NFL player, but any kind of celebrity, really. And we were talking about this in a production meeting a few weeks ago, how it, it a lot of the social, some of the social media videos anyway, that you see Brown posting, uh, there is a real sense that he's being empowered often you know erroneously or negatively but by those around him and you in some ways although i know a lot of stuff happens with players in the nfl a lot of stuff gets hushed up or gets brushed under the carpet it is in a in a in a sad kind of way surprising that this kind of thing doesn't happen more you know when you have uh okay brown's 31 so he's not a a spring chicken in, in nfl playing terms but most players come into the league at an incredibly young age make a lot of money at an incredibly young age and mm-hmm. often are coming into the league with the lure of those riches and status and keeping up appearances and quite often an entourage as well. They're expecting them to do the same for them. And Antonio Brown doesn't seem to have anyone around him that is pulling him out of this and getting him the help he obviously needs and getting him back on track. No, and your your point about entourages, I agree with. And look, you know, there have been hangers on to successful people and administrative assistants that are old high school friends for, for, you know, men and women for decades. I've read enough biographies in, 
you know, in, in, you know, the rock and roll world or the acting world or, or the world of athletes, where sometimes there is that sort of, if you will, come to Jesus moment and they realize, you know, I've got to make sure I've got the best people around me. I'm mm. coming to the midpoint of my career or I have a family now or I need to, you know, sharpen it up a little bit. I can't party like I used to at a certain age. I can't, uh, you know, have these things. I got to start taking more care of my money. I was a little reckless with it. And I just don't think that reckoning has come from Brown. Then you add in something that we haven't discussed yet. You did a little bit, the social media factor. And yep. there, there, that is that is a, a little bit of a trap for people who are uh, utterly rich and famous. I mean, I'm on it a fair bit, but it's, it's to promote what I do and, and interact with people who like what I do. You're the same. And, and even people at, uh, at our level who are nowhere near the fame or, or uh, financial success of Antonio Brown, you know, sometimes I feel a need to, to step, step off sometimes and step away from it and, yeah. and not send that tweet and not send that Instagram post. Um, and Antonio Brown just doesn't seem to have that level of, uh, of self-awareness. So there's a lot of work to be done there. Um, I would say also a year ago at this time, maybe we're critical of the Pittsburgh Steelers and Mike Tomlin for saying, how can they not keep a lid on this? <laughs> right, it looks like right. a bit of a zoo with all the problems that the Steelers have had, um, not, not even be able to play Antonio Brown in week 17. Matt, I'm finding more and more people are looking back and crediting Mike Tomlin and the Steelers for maybe keeping a lid on on this powder keg for for the last few years that they have. Great point. It's a great point. All right, let's move on. Another big story breaking this week. Perhaps no surprise, but nevertheless, when when the end does come, it's still still jarring given he's had such a significant NFL career and certainly in, in terms of our professional uh, careers working together, Greg, he's been a, a, a mainstay really. Eli Manning uh, uh, hanging them up. Seventh in the all-time list for passing yards, uh, just over 57,000 yards. Uh, similarly with touchdowns, 366, of course, benefiting from being in the modern era, uh, which is very pass happy and, uh, and protects quarterbacks and encourages those kind of stats. Two Super Bowl rings, two Super Bowl MVPs, no less. And for many years now, particularly since he, he bagged those rings, uh, one of those players that is cited as the absolute water margin when it comes to the Hall of Fame and whether he's on the right or the wrong side of that line. It seems to be provoking debates for years and years, you know, in bars all around the world. Is Eli Manning Hall of Fame worthy? And this, of course, will accentuate night. Now he starts to become eligible for uh, the Hall of Fame having retired. In my mind, Greg, there is no argument. He has to be a Hall of Fame player. And it's not just because of the rings and the MVP performances, you know, it's not as if he rocked up to either of those Super Bowls and pulled, you know, uh, Roethlisberger in his first Super Bowl type performance, you know, or or a, a Trent Dilfer type performance. He was instrumental in both cases in those wins. It wasn't just that. It was also the clutch plays in particular. We talk a lot about incredible plays in, in any sport and the significance of uh, context and the significance of when that play was executed and, you know, Manning five stars for that as well. But it was also the playoff runs. If you actually go back and look at his performances in the road to the Super Bowl in the postseason, he was extremely strong and certainly effective in both of those runs in the playoffs. Road wins, of course, as well, taking down Rogers, uh, uh, far, yep. um, Romo quarterbacks that were meant to be better than him uh, even now people would say are meant to be better than him he outdueled them in a clutch in a crunch situation he didn't just 
go along for the ride and hand the rock off to Brandon Jacobs or whoever 98 times, he was instrumental in the playoff wins as well as the Super Bowl wins. So for that reason alone, I think it's a no-brainer. I can't believe there is discussion about Eli Manning in the Hall of Fame. I really can't. <laughs> well, here comes your counterpoint. Are you ready? Are you <laughs> okay, sitting I'm down? Ready. Or you mean, I'm you mean ready. You need to lay down, not sit down. <laughs> okay. I, you're right. Those runs were really, really something. Um, yeah, to be to to be Tom Brady twice on neutral in neutral Super Bowls. Remember, I'm, so he stands between Tom Brady and eight Super Bowl rings. Right. He truly does. Right. Which is he's, he's the one man you can you know you can give Tom Coughlin a fair amount of credit. Um, and, 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 uh, David Tyree, of course, uh, he should send uh, a gift bag too, if you will, uh, every <laughs> year for the, uh, the Arizona Super Bowl. Which, and the ultimate uh, perfect season as well, Greg. I mean, you know, it's not just yeah. the extra ring, but the ultimate. You're perfect. right. Yeah. Yeah. With the Patriots being the, uh, just massive favorites, uh, in, in yeah. that particular game, but just the consistency falls. I, yeah. Those two runs are amazing. He's an eight and four playoff quarterback, but he only won playoff games two of his 17 years in the league and that's a problem for me and how he sort of finished at the very end and and look it's not all about wins and losses for for a quarterback but he lost 26 of his last 35 games from age 36 on the end I'm trying to think of an ending I know Dan Marino had a very awful last NFL game as a playoff game. They lost the Dolphins, mm. lost 62-7 to Jacksonville. Yeah. Yeah. And he threw, but he won a playoff game the week before. And I think we in Seattle, no less, at the Kingdom. So I think we forget sometimes um, that, you know, Eli's ending is is pretty unique. And he's. I'm glad he's going out on his own terms. He seems healthy. He seems at peace with it. And the one thing you can say is he's handled everything with great dignity, with great class, has never been in trouble off the field. And how far he goes back, I had to look it up while we were talking. I wanted to look up the Pro Bowl quarterbacks uh, of Eli Manning's first year. And these are, this tells you how long he was in the league and was uh, a talked about point so many primetime games. Dante Culpepper, Donovan right. McNabb, and Michael Vick right. were the NFC Pro Bowl quarterbacks, uh, which is really something. But no, like I, I have him, I have him a little bit short. I think it's a little like Jim Plunkett, who won two, mm. uh, you know, two Super Bowl rings with the Oakland and the LA Raiders, actually. But I, I just the body of work and the regularity. He led the league in interceptions three times. He led the league in sacks uh, a couple different times as well. And it just falls a little bit short for me. It's a really fair argument. And like I said at the top, that is why he is a water margin. And, you know, maybe I'm overstating it by saying it's a no-brainer for me. But I think that when it comes to <laughs> the Hall of Fame and the 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 rationale for that of course you have to look at a, a, a body of work in totality but also i think the significance uh, of that playing career and i think that manning for for the reasons you just so eloquently described in both instances against the patriots but particularly the 2007 season this was a seminal moment you know it's one of the most um replayed and remarkable plays in the in the history of the game let alone uh, and, and people were talking as well, actually, rightly so, about the Manningham catch and, and that being an underrated yeah, catch. Yeah, it was. The, the Tyree. Um, the, the, and I think there's a lot when you look at the pressure he was under to connect to Tyree. If it was a different type of quarterback, you know, if the Sean Watson or, uh, you know, Mahomes or Rogers was, was ducking and diving and duking his way out of trouble, I think people would have a, a different perspective on that or, or, you know, lay on even more praise. I don't think Manning necessarily gets enough praise for, uh, the escape artist act that he, uh, he engendered in that play. I mean, it was, it was a sublime play and it was such a legendary play. If it was in isolation. Yeah, you're right. And, and, and he still has to throw a touchdown pass to play. Right. To go burst. To Burris, like, yeah. That didn't end the drive. He still has to, you know, keep his cool. 
maintain it. But uh, but I, I liked what you said. It, it, I, it made me think of Eli Manning when Deshaun Watson did that in the playoff game against the Buffalo Bills. He's got a third and long. He's, he is absolutely wrapped up. He's absolutely going to be sacked. And the two Buffalo, he made the two Buffalo Bills uh, uh, players collide with each other and is able to throw a strike on the run to get a first down and keep the drive going. The, the one name I'd bring up, so I'll, I'll, I'll put it back to you, mm. is whether Joe Flacco is a Hall of Famer. Because he only had the one Super Bowl run, but yeah. went into Foxborough, dominated the Patriots, outdueled a very good Colin Kaepernick at the given time, scored 38 points in Denver when they were yeah. massive underdogs to Peyton Manning and the Broncos. Um, and, and he's got 10 playoff wins and Eli's got eight. I, I, it's, I, you're opening the door, I think, for a Joe Flacco conversation too. Now I, I tell you, I think Manning is getting in because mm. of the name, the pedigree, yep. the brother, the father and how he's handled himself. I think he's a media favorite and he, he should be. But I, I, the, the Flacco thing for me, what would you say about him? I think it's a good argument. I, I think again, if we're looking, looking at that water margin, you know, I would have Flacco just on the other side, really. Uh, look, without stating the obviously, you make a great point about the volume of playoff rings, and, uh, playoff wins, and that should be, that should obviously be a factor. And, and as we said, totality of career. And you make a great point as well about Manning's inconsistency, leading the leagues in interceptions three times, I think you said. I mean, that yeah. is a worrying yeah. stat, of course. And these are all valid points. But, and you know, Marino is, of course, the poster boy of, making sure that you don't obsess too much about Super Bowl rings. But I think that the fact that Manning did it twice, and I'll emphasize the point, just go back and look at the playoff runs and his performances in those games. And for me, the clutch moments, and I'm just a strong believer in that, that you can have, I mean, flipping this to the football, you know, an unbelievable scissor kick, one of the greatest goals you'll ever see. There's a very big difference if that is in, you know, the third round of the EFL Cup versus, you know, the, the Champions League final or the World Cup final. And Manning was uh, one of those players that in transcending specifics mm-hmm. that delivered clutch plays at critical times. And almost the very fact that he was, he saved his best for the biggest stage. I think is enough for me to tip him over the edge. Now, is he as good a quarterback as Marino, Montana, or, or, or many of the quarterbacks? Maybe all of the quarterbacks in the Hall of Fame right now? Probably not. Does his canon of work and his collective impact and input to the game warrant a place in Canton? I think it does. I think it does. Yeah. It's going to be fascinating to see how, and, and whether he's first ballot or not. I feel like I said, mm. I think he's getting in. I think more people do think like you than me. It doesn't make it right or wrong, but I'll tell you, I, I, the first ballot thing is going to be really, really intriguing once he's up. Cause are people going to make him wait a year or, or wait a, a couple of years? There's a lot yeah. of great pl- position players that clearly don't hop right in on their first ballot. Um, yeah. It's a great look, look, point. Terrell Owens, very, very different personality, but that which was I think counts. That, which that I he, think counts. Yeah. That, that he had to wait till a third or fourth year to get in. For I think T. Florio sure. and Sims on their, on their show were, were making that point that, so Carter as well, right? Players that uh, maybe have a bit of <laughs> a bit of uh, extra about them in terms of personality have, um, uh, you know, have perhaps been uh, slowed down in terms of the, the the speed of their bus being cast because of that. So I wonder whether. Well, that my recollection is there was a great debate about Lawrence Taylor, even, and you're right, going, you right. got to be kidding. But uh, but there were writers yeah. that wanted to almost send a message to say. We didn't always like who you were off the field. He sure. ran into obviously some some clear uh, and defined uh, legal troubles yeah. and uh, behaved badly. There's no yeah. question about it. That's putting it mildly. Um, <laughs> behaved disgustingly uh, in some ways. Yeah. And but there were writers that said it's all we haven't taken O.J. Simpson out of Ken. 
I have to judge it by what's on the football field. And Lawrence Taylor is an undeniable, unquestionable Hall of Famer and maybe the best ever to play his position. So what are you talking about making him wait a year or waiting two years? So those debates, like you said, you kick back over a beer, you have them, and uh, let's see where the chips fall. Yeah, okay. Uh, we'll throw that out as well, actually, to social, because I think it is quite going to be quite a close call. You say there are more people in, in my camp. I'm not sure that's the case. I think a lot of people agree with you. And, and I know Carlson does, actually, in the, the Plunkett comparison is one he's made as well, which is a really good one and, and a strong case. At the NC Show, what do you think? Eli, Hall of Fame, not – I think this one's going to roll on and on and on. Let's talk about the Aaron Hernandez mm-hmm. documentary referenced earlier, Greg, because it's getting a lot of traction and – it is uh, off the back. This is the Netflix uh, documentary off the back of an audio documentary that's out there uh, on iTunes and all good uh, podcasters, uh, which has shone a light on another tragic NFL career, another tragic life, uh, ultimately. But um, it's something that you've been watching over uh, over the last couple mm-hmm. of weeks. Uh, talk to us more, because I haven't seen it. So I haven't seen, I know I've read about it. I've talked to people that have seen it. And I, so I get the gist of some of the key narratives within. But talk us through some of the things that it, it focuses on and what was happening to him off the field. Yeah, it, rather remarkable viewing. Um, and what you think you knew in, in terms of the, uh, you know, sort, sort of the story, uh, you realize there's, there's an awful lot there. There's layers that are on the football field even that are surprising, but it's called Killer Inside the Mind of uh, Aaron Hernandez. And in a way, you ask more questions after it. Um, you get answers during it, but then it opens up entire more boxes of, uh, of questions and why it went the way it went. And, and a lot of the only audio you've got from Aaron Hernandez are um, the phone calls from prison to his mom, to his agent, to his advisors. You don't hear any New England Patriots. And the only interaction mm. with New England Patriots after uh, Aaron Hernandez is in prison is uh, or, or accused of, of the crimes which for which he was convicted for is Robert Kraft testifying. That was a rather famous day. Robert Kraft came into the courtroom, testified about sort of what he knew, what the Patriots knew when they knew it. It's, it's kind of funny. They said, you know, uh, they asked him his, uh, his name, Robert Kraft, what do you do for work? Uh, and he just says, whatever they tell me to, which I'm thinking most billionaires don't generally say. <laughs> uh, when they're in the courtroom, but it's, <laughs> right. um, it, it's, it's rather, you realize that there, there is a guy in Hernandez who it's such a beyond painful tale because everything is right there for him, but he just had this seething rage inside him and how sometimes we, uh, we can handle the big things in life, but we, the little things set us off. He was an extreme in that uh, in that department and uh, and obviously had some violence uh, and violent tendencies that that he was just able to to shield uh, from the Patriots. Remember, they took him a little bit lower because they'd heard things about him partying. They heard things mm. about, you know, his commit, not his commitment to fitness, not his commitment to being a great football player. But the other thing it, it raises, Nat, and I think it's got a lot of football players upset about it, current and X, is it raises the specter of CTE. And mm-hmm. not that it, it expl- Aaron Hernandez was found to have CTE when they did the autopsy, but it also there's, – there's the accusation towards the documentary, and I'm still a little mixed on it, but I see why some would say it, that it, it, it explains away or provides an, an excuse, if you will, for his behavior. How we, how we did that a little bit with the great Junior Seau, how we explained yeah. away some of Junior Seau's bizarre behavior, some of his, you know, violent behavior, not being a good family man, a lot of different things. And there's a lot of guys walking around saying, well, I've had concussions. I may very well have CTE. I think it opened that door to 
to question whether the the documentary is making an excuse for uh, what what looks to be now a, a career violent criminal. Yeah, it's, and that is the, the crux of it, isn't it? The, uh, that element of the story is an excuse, or is it? Is it an explanation as to why, or, or perhaps both of those things? And it is uh, it is fascinating. There's suggestion as well, of course, that, um, and again, the transparency. I haven't seen this documentary, but this is something that has uh, been associated with the Hernandez story for a number of years. That he was uh, was homosexual, or certainly yeah. had uh, uh, wrestled with his sexuality uh how does the documentary cover that particular aspect of the story well it definitely implies and and we we don't have hernandez obviously around to deny it but the quarterback of his high school team um baseball volunteers the information that they had a uh, sexual affair in high school it felt very and and for a little bit of time while he was at the university of florida so it's a little bit on, it's a little bit off. And at the same time, um, it, it doesn't seem like uh, there's a New England Patriots player as well who uh, came out as gay after he retired. But he mm. did note that he had that sense of it with Hernandez. So, again, these things seem accurate. Uh, no one from Hernandez's estate is out there denying it. Now, I might make the case there's bigger things in the documentary that they'd have clearly to be um you know uh, hurt by or disappointed by than one sexuality which at the end of the day is is only that person's business really but at the same time it it uh it, it just may provide an explanation uh for on, on hernandez's part on the documentary's part about hernandez i should say for uh, just just a lot of a lot of confusion and things that he kept to himself and again that department is his right. What 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 is a little bit more out there is the fact that he kept to himself uh, these crimes and his associates, and the fact that you know he feared for his own life. He what happened? What he did to Odin Lloyd and was convicted of in terms of murdering him. He was worried it was going to happen to him from other people. So he was involved with a lot of people that uh, that had access to guns, that had access to uh, you know gang members, and it just for the Patriots, I'm sure. I'm sure the whole thing still feels utterly and completely like a whirlwind. And it does, mm. it does for us probably not too. just watching sure. football or observing football. Um, there was just nothing like it. The, the drafting of Rob Gronkowski, the drafting of Aaron Hernandez. And all of a sudden, after a couple of years in which the Patriots, we wondered whether, you know, are they going to have the, the amount of weapons to move forward? This is sort of an, a post Randy Moss era. They had Moss mm-hmm. for three or four great years after getting him from Oakland. And we're like, Tom Brady kind of needs more help, and presto, with a snap of a finger, they draft these two tight ends, very different characters, one loud and gregarious, the other a little quieter, obviously, in Hernandez. But they and they use Aaron Hernandez even at times as a, as a running back uh, in a couple playoff games. He's got a couple rushing touchdowns against sure. the uh, Denver Broncos. So it's remarkable how it all ended for the Patriots. They picked right back up, but we debated for weeks at a time uh, whether the Patriots would – survive if you will uh the loss of Aaron Hernandez to basically a state penitentiary for the rest of his life and then of course it ends very tragically in prison so I'd recommend it because I think if you have questions about who he was um whether the blame is on himself exclusively the people around him if people are blaming football if people are blaming CTE uh you'll get some answers as to how you felt about it before the documentary is on Netflix. Go and seek it out. Uh, Greg, I know we're on a hard out. Before you go, you did at the top, I think, say, hey, we've got a, 
a weekend without football, you're forgetting the Pro Bowl, unless that was uh, a very <laughs> bad <design>. thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the skills challenge, of course, that's, I think, everybody's uh, favorite part of, of Pro Bowl weekend. And uh, good to see Jarvis Landry representing in the dodgeball tournament again. That seems to be... Um, He's mm-hmm. owning dodgeball uh, as far as uh, the Pro Bowl is concerned over the last couple of years. Well, I, I have a friend who's a very good Minnesota Vikings fan now. It's not Ollie Gee, although I consider him a friend. We haven't met <laughs> yet, but a lot, of, a lot of friendly jousting through the season with him uh, and you refereeing. But but I have a Vikings <laughs> fan who does not want to see Kirk Cousins win the skills competition. He's still so upset about the uh, final <laughs> playoff game against San Francisco. Right. Even though I'm like, come on, Kirk won the game at the Superdome. He outdueled Drew Brees, but... He doesn't want to see Kirk Cousins throwing balls into the back of pickup trucks and tires better than every other quarterback <laughs> on the play. He wants him to do it in the playoffs uh, and earn First, the $40 million. Yeah, so. yeah, it's a fair enough point. The Pro Bowl <laughs> is, I mean, it, the, the skills thing, it's something I remember before they, they introduced it. You and I used to talk about it because we're the same generation and remembered mm. those old school superstar style skill challenges uh, with Marino and Ken O'Brien and, you know, the quarterbacks <laughs> when we were kids. And, and so I'm glad that side of it has come back. Has it? Is it, I mean, it's definitely heightened the interest and ex- enjoyment, not excitement, maybe, of, of the Pro Bowl. But still, the NFL doesn't seem to be able to get it right in the same way that other American sports manage to with their all-star games. Yeah, it, and it's. I think it's the physical nature of the sport. I don't think mm. anything can touch uh, where baseball's at. The, the NHL all-star game is the same weekend on the same day. I think it's a few hours before the Pro Bowl, and there just isn't the interest. You're seeing star players say it's such a long season. Uh, for, for hockey, uh, 82 games and the potential for, you know, 25, 26 playoff games if you're going deep. Um, but the NFL, you know, it's not like that. We know there's no hitting. We know we're not going to see guys, uh, you know, uh, really fighting in the trenches. We're not going to see, uh, helmet to helmet hits. And, and I'm saying that's a good thing, but I even think moving it ahead of the Super Bowl, I thought it would generate when they did that several years ago, Nat, I thought they'd generate a little more interest because we are, mm. we're footballed out. And, and the things we focus on when the Super Bowl is over are the draft and free agency. And we're not ready for an AFC versus NFC game or a drafted team between two former superstars. So I think it's, it's great debate and great fodder when, when players get chosen. I think if you're at the game, if you're in, if you're in that city, I'm sure for the players who get chosen, it's a real thrill because not everybody get, not everybody gets to play with uh, Tom Brady. Not everybody gets to play, uh, you know, with uh, with with future Hall of Famers. And yeah. you're never sure if it's going to be your first Super Bowl or you're going to go to eight or nine in your career. So yeah. it's for the players. It's it's certainly for the fans in the stadium, um, and it's a, it's a lovely reward, I'm sure, for families. But at the, at the end of the day, for the people focused on the 49ers and Chiefs, there's there's not much there. And the other thing as well, I guess, pretty much, and I would say not. Just pretty much every single player that's making the Pro Bowl is getting some extra dollars and cents for that nod. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that kind of smooths the, uh, smooths the weekend for sure. Uh, but the Orlando stuff- thing, they, they, there's a reason mm. they haven't set it in Indianapolis or Cleveland yet. Yeah. There's, uh, there, there, you won't <laughs> yeah. see the NFL Pro Bowl at, since in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, lovely as that is, uh, this time yeah. of year, uh, you won't see it anytime soon. That's probably a reason for it not to happen in London or in the <laughs> UK, but it'd be bloody good if it did. That wouldn't that be something, uh, cracking stuff, uh, as ever, Mr. Brady. Uh, we're going to miss you in Miami next week, but, uh, yep. we are rolling through the off season, of course. And, uh, as a key part of our all pro lineup, we'll be checking in with you regularly. So look after yourself, enjoy the game catch up with you very very soon have a good week next week uh and uh thanks to all the listeners and and that vegas seat has been planted i mean that's, Locked a, and that's a quick hop skip and jump for me i don't have to loaded. connect to Laguardia <laughs> like you probably do i can go straight there and be and and have everything ready for have your room key ready for you <laughs>
<laughs> consider it done. Take care, man. <laughs> Thanks, man. Lovely stuff from Greg. And as I said, he is going to be a key part of our coverage all through the offseason. We're going to be rolling through the offseason at least an episode a week. And when we come to big things like the draft and free agency, you'll probably be hearing a lot more from us. Video content, our social channels rolling 24-7 as well. So we are here for the long haul. Speaking of which, given his rookie season, you would think our next guest is going to be a mainstay of the NFL for many years to come. He's over in the UK at the moment, getting some well-deserved rest after a brilliant debut season for the Cleveland Browns. He was kind enough to give us some time to sit down and catch up with them. So here's my chat with the Scottish hammer, Jamie Gillum. Jamie, good to meet you. Nice to meet you too. We were just talking about your nickname being the Scottish Hammer. I was gutted to find out that you're not a West Ham fan. <laughs> when I saw that, I thought, great, he's another Hammer, another one of the family, but right. sadly not. Well, how did you get the nickname? Uh, just from my high school coach, he said, just from the sound of me kicking the ball, when I heard it, and I guess, because we're in kind of small town, um, have you ever seen the movie Varsity Blues? Sure, yeah, yeah. Kind of like that. With where, James where Van Der Beek, the great James Van Der Beek. Yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of like that, so it's pretty awesome, quite country down there, and uh, maybe that I haven't seen like a lot of punters or something, but I just punted when well, he was like, You're the Scottish Hammer. I was like, All right, <laughs> we'll roll with it. <laughs> and you trademarked it, mm-hmm. so are we should we expect much uh, in the next 12 months? Uh, not from me, it's just if anybody else wants to make their own merch, you know, better contact yeah. me first. <laughs> <laughs> the lawyers will be on to you. So you mentioned Varsity Blues. How much about American football did you know when you first went over to the States as a teenager? Nothing. I just uh, my favorite movies were always American football movies though. Remember right. the Titans? Yeah. Favorite movie ever. Yeah. Uh, Gridiron Gang. I love American football See, movies. Leon Marshall. We're talking about Leon uh, Marshall. That's that's a great movie too. Great film. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I'm, what I was talking about, I said, how crazy is that when you're a kid, favorite movies remember the Titans, and then you're actually playing football. So, so obviously you're a rugby player. Um, when you went over to the states originally, I read something that you carried on playing rugby, but the standard you just wasn't strong enough. It didn't keep you motivated. Yeah, it was just a little bit tough for me because um, you know I came from really good rugby club Highland. We used to uh, destroy teams up there, and then. Um, Went to Merkiston and we had a really strong team. Like we were absolutely pumping teams up in Edinburgh and stuff. And it was a really high level of schoolboy rugby. And then I went out to the States and I was like, oh man, you know, I'm looking at some of the guys and, and it's not this bad, but for instance, like, you call out a switch. Uh, no idea what I switch it, you know, kind of stuff like that. Yeah, looking yeah. at me, I'm just passing the ball, bro. <laughs> so, um, it, it was really good. They, 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 it's constantly growing. It's getting better and better. But when I when I was playing a little bit, it was a little bit trickier because especially where I lived, I'd commute like two hours to practice. And right. It's just uh, I was kind of done. I, I wasn't really enjoying it. Because you're hearing that it's one of the fastest growing sports in America, mm-hmm. but I guess you know such a fast country that it's entirely. Geographical. If you're in the wrong place, then right. the, the scene's just not going to be there. Yeah, because if I was living in DC, it would have been all right. Right. Because it's, it's, there's a lot, there's a lot of growing rugby there, and there's actually a French exchange uh, kind of school there that mm-hmm. they've got a rugby team. They're pretty good, full of uh, French boys in that, and they're yeah. they're good. And uh, that's who I pulled on a shirt for a couple of times. But it's just I mean, traveling two and a half hours as a, a as a kid, you just like, to go to just too much training on that. Like, oh, yeah. Were you a fly half? Yeah. Yeah. So, so that obviously you were interested in kicking and you started watching American football. And again, the story goes, the apocryphal story goes that you were at a game watching it and watching the kickers and the punters and the guy, I, I could do a lot better than that. Yeah. Yeah, basically. And, uh, I, I just said to the coach, hey, you, you, you want to, you want a kicker in that? And 
uh, hit a couple of real long field goals and punted the, the ball, and he was just... His claim to fame is he was looking at the kicker and he was like, you're fired. And he thinks it's hilarious. I was like, that's a bit harsh. But the old kicker just, yeah. Yeah, like, oh, poor guy. I know, right? But he, Brian Woodburn, he's absolutely hilarious. The big old country boy. You're fired. Oh, man, that's a bit harsh. <laughs> what is the difference? Because, I mean, you know, obviously weight of ball is fundamental. And we were chatting about the AFL as well, so the difference in the weight of that ball to a rugby ball to an NFL ball. But... How would you describe it and, and how you adjusted to learning how to kick in American football? Yeah, it was just totally, totally different, even the way you got. First, I used to hold it like I'd hold a, a rugby ball, and how you, because I read, uh, still got it actually, Johnny Wilkinson, how to play rugby. I've never looked up to any rugby player but him. That was my idol when I was a kid. And uh, his way of torpedo, torpedoing punts. And uh, so I was doing it like him, and it was working, but then it wasn't. Get, it was more like a rocket, not like kind of get hind time and stuff. So I adjusted yeah. my grip and stuff, and it was just kind of trial and error all the way up until now. Sometimes I still trial and error, but we'll keep that to ourselves, I guess. <laughs> In terms of that adjustment, because a, a, a number of rugby players have gone out to America, Christian Wade, obviously Christian Scott Christian Williamson, beast. serious players, and learning different positions. You know, Christian's a tight end. Uh, well, Christian Scott Williamson's a tight end. Christian Wade's a running back. Uh-huh. And they talk about the adjustment in terms of you've got so much muscle memory athletically but you've got to adjust to this to this new sport and doing things a little bit differently mm-hmm. how did you adjust what was that process like when you realized okay i've got a natural talent for this i can make it here yeah talk us through getting sharper and sharper and better and better at punting um so yeah like, like you're saying having the natural ability to just do your job uh, to be able to pump the ball or be able to run like christian wade uh, my Transfer is probably a lot different to his because he's learning a playbook which I could never do to save my life. My memory is not good at that sort of stuff. <laughs> ruled out those positions. Oh yeah, ruled out everything. How I have to do is catch and kick it. <laughs> Don't forget the direction. Um, but we uh, just uh, what it came down to is a lot of timing and stuff. Um, it's so um, exact. You know, the snaps 0. 0.6 to 0. 0.7 seconds gives me about. 1.2 to 1.25 seconds of catching it to kicking it and just staying sharp on that mm-hmm. because you can be a, a great punter but if you take too long messing with the ball you won't get picked because of your might get blocked and another statistic is if you get a punt blocked you're a 77 percent chance of losing that game mm-hmm. um so crazy statistics i yeah. guess but yeah, yeah. Uh, that was just my way that was how i was trying to you know get better at it was just that and then also just little things that can make me more efficient smaller steps and it's just a whole it's like a golf swing there's a whole lot of little stuff that came together and you think you're still learning all the time absolutely yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna always learn as Prefer says and I better always learn <laughs> he has just been confirmed as retaining his gig mm-hmm. under, under Stefanski in the last 24 hours from Michael Marquez that's good news for you everyone. amazing news yeah but with a new head coach have you met him yet nope how do you feel about that about the new head coach yeah about the, you know you've been in the NFL for a relatively short period of time and already you've got to deal with a new head coach Way above my pay grade. <laughs> I'm just, uh, I'm just, I'm just here to, to kick well for the team and and uh, well for Prefe. He looks like an awesome guy. I'm, I, I'll, I'll get along with anybody. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm not, I don't really uh, think about that. I, yeah. I respect him. I really liked Freddie. I was sad to see him go, but things happen. It's a business, you know. Yeah. And now they've got yeah. the fast. Whatever season though for you. Um, I mean, it couldn't have really gone on a personal level much better, could it? Uh, 
for me it could have there's a few punts I'd like to take back I'm just a bit of a perfectionist but I'm happy it, uh, I went my way it did you know we uh, as a special teams unit um, you know punt team unit we uh, broke the franchise record for the net punt for Browns which is cool wow. And uh, but that isn't just that's I mean Coach Brief is so particular on everything and it, it's, per, it's great because it keeps you on the ball and it, eliminating mistakes mm. that's one of the big things with special teams eliminating mistakes and flags and did a great job at that and we cut because of our gunners and our interior we cut our um, uh, return goal in half like we had like 400 something yards last year and we cut that completely in half so and that's just all down to great players great gunners and uh, Charlie snapping back amazing snaps it's, uh, it's been good so it made my life easy How's tra- talk us through training so a, a typical day's training for you it looks like what? Oh, just uh, if I'm on a punting day I'll um, go into the gym and warm up and I uh, use the balance to stretch and get my hips activated and then go out, uh, tap a couple, and then um, work on different areas in the field. Then we'll have a punt team period, do that. And then uh, if I feel like I want to do some more, I'll, I'll tap a couple more, and then that's about it. Because kicking, it, whether it's punting or kicking, it tends to be a little bit separated from the rest of the roster in some ways. And at the same time, I was looking at that hit in the pre-season game against Detroit, uh, that you, when you landed that, and you must miss, you must miss hitting and tackling a bit, being a rugby player. Yes, all the time. All the time. <laughs> when you hit that, did the defensive players look at you in a slightly different, in a slightly different way? Uh, I think so. They're all really pumped up, I and mean, that's pretty funny for me because it's, that's just a normal day in the office in rugby, isn't it? Right. So. Uh, I, I don't go out to look for tackles. I'm quite happy just if they just fair catch it and I get to wander off the field. Uh, but I, I was just wanting to show that, you know, I don't want to be one of those punters that just lets someone breeze past. Like, I want to make an effort. I'm going to try and get them down because football, anything can happen. You can try to be perfect. You kick a great punt, something could happen, or a kick not so good punt and he breaks loose and it's me and him. So I wanted to show them that. You know, I'm, I'm here for the team too, and, and uh, every yard counts for me as well for the team. Do you think that gives you a bit of an edge in a way that you are known as a punter that, that can tackle? So, of course, any coach is not going to want you to be in that position because it means that the return has got to where you are on the field or thereabouts. But yeah. the fact that you can put in a tackle like that, it must, must give you an edge over a lot of other punters. Uh, I, I don't know about an edge. It's just a different aspect. You know, like Mitch uh, for the yeah. 49ers, he can lay some wood out there too. Uh, you know, there's a, few, there's a few guys that can do it, but maybe an edge, I don't know, just maybe something different for the returner to think about. Now you mentioned Mitch, and international, another international name in, in the NFL. Are we going to see more and more players from all across the world coming into the league over, over the coming years, do you think? That's tough. Maybe. I mean, I was saying uh, earlier, you know, in America, they grow up like throwing footballs or throwing baseballs and stuff, and we grow up kicking. Uh, you know, soccer balls, as they would say, or football, our footballs, and kicking stuff. So maybe, I mean, another thing we're kicking is that sometimes uh, people can be quite robotic with it. Uh, I feel, I feel like you just, you also have just to have a natural ability to kick a ball because something can go wrong. Like I can catch a ball and drop it outside my drop zone, and I ha- you have to have a natural ability to be able to hit, kick it and save it. And, and kick it well, you know. In my, my opinion, a lot of robotic. If it's very, if you're very robotic, when something doesn't go well. Uh, you tend to not kick it very well, right? Oh, so that's right. Uh, I think that's like, you know, Mitch has got a huge end over end punt. So does um, Dixon, Michael Dixon. Oh. Uh, he's got an absolute cannon of an end over end punt too, and different versatile things you can do. 
Uh, not saying that Americans aren't good at Putnam, they're very good at Putnam too, but it's just different aspects, right. isn't it, and what, what you can bring to the table. Right. Let's talk about AFL, because we mentioned that earlier on, and there's a kicking challenge going on there that you fancy chancing, chancing your leg at. Yeah, so I can't remember what it's called. You win like a golden boot, and uh, I was talking to one of the Aussie, one Aussie about the... Ages ago, you were saying that oh, maybe this is not true, but don't take it too seriously. But that's the fun part about it. It's not taking sure you go out for a good laugh, right. and have a couple of pints afterwards. And I'd love to. It's like a little runway, and you run up with the ball and just absolutely hoof it over the pond. And I'd love to do that. It'd be a blast. I'll go on my football pads <laughs> while they're on their AFL gear, and I'll try and smash one down there. So who's got to put that together? An NFL player, AFL player, a rugby player, and put some kind of skills TV show together. It's got to happen. Right. Me, me, Mitch, and Michael could go out there, and, and Barry from the Pittsburgh could go out there and compete against each other and, and all that. It'll be hilarious. Let's trademark that as well, right? So okay. We could get, 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 be a little team ourselves against the AFL guys. In terms of the Super Bowl, you're not going to be in Miami, sadly. So where are you going to be watching it? Uh, probably Nimbernes. Right. What do your mates and family think about it, or think about your whole journey, and 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 then the game as well, comparing it to rugby? I think they find it pretty unreal. Most of my family, they're they they, they don't really know too much about uh, rugby, not rugby football. So uh, they're kind of a bit standoffish. But they're yeah. really happy that that, I've, uh, that I'm playing and stuff. They think it's hilarious. <laughs> uh, my 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 brother might as well be my brother uh, Ross he is now completely engrossed in football and he's always telling me about things he's telling me stuff I don't even know sometimes <laughs> he'll be texting me he's like oh, you hear this I was like no I didn't hear that and he's telling me so uh, Grand and Granted are all in, endorsed, engrossed in it now mum and dad come up to games uh, every time Cleveland has a home game so oh, amazing it's cool yeah it must be super proud of you um, and the Super Bowl is the, I guess the game we wanted isn't it 49 is Chiefs well Cleveland Browns. Well, that's, 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 <laughs> right. Uh, no, but two really powerful teams, uh, two amazing quarterbacks. Uh, I'm hoping it's just going to be a shootout. Do you think it will? I hope so. See, on the cards, They're so much fun to watch, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and people that aren't, you know, fading on Jimmy Garoppolo saying if you get into a shootout, he won't be able to handle it. I'm not so sure that Ooh. that is the case. There's dangerous. To, have you got a prediction for the Super Bowl? Mm-mm-mm. You're staying well clear of that. Mm-hmm. What makes a good Super Bowl party? Have you been watching it in Inverness? What, uh, have you picked up any tips? Oh, Stay yeah. Because back? we used to, uh, used to always go down to the Fortescue's house. They're our neighbours. And they are huge die-hard die uh, Eagles fans, mm. and their whole basement is painted green. Wow. Different Eagles logos. they got like a 150-inch or something projector screen and couches. Everybody who comes to the game just rolls up with heaps of munchies and stuff and, uh, and everything, and you just pick food. Uh, drink beer. Um, I snagged in my kegerator for um, for the family. So nice. good beer now and draft. Nice. We just watch the game. Perfect. We'll enjoy that. And congratulations on a brilliant rookie season. Appreciate that. We're rooting for your big time, obviously, over here in Britain. And uh, long may it continue. Lovely stuff. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks, Greg. Next time you hear from us, we'll be from Miami. Tuesday is when our next pod drops and we'll have been covering opening night and all the craziness and chaos that ensues there. Uh, so make sure uh, you check us for that. And as I said at the top of the show, live shows on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, midday UK time. We'll push out links on our social media channels, the ESPN UK channels as well so you can find us easily and those live shows will be dropped as podcasts later on that day so if you're not able to watch us live you won't miss a trip we've got studios on 
South Beach in Miami, incidentally. So I better get my wardrobe sorted. I've got to keep up appearances. I get quite frankly, gang. So we'll see you then Tuesday from Miami. Look after yourself. Enjoy the Pro Bowl. Podcast Network.